0: He said,
1: hearts that are weary of toiling and of tears come closer to jesus let him banish your fears Closer to Jesus and lean on his breast. Come closer to Jesus.
2: morning, church. I want to welcome you this morning. We gather each week to worship, to celebrate what God has done through the sacrifice of Jesus and by the ministering of the Holy Spirit. And at this time, we are going to begin our service, as we always do, with a call to worship. So please stand with me. And these words are from David and come from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Let me read these as we begin our service. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So let's sing together.
0: God is mighty King of Heaven Thou, O Lord, our God God shall be Thy commission we John.
1: follow none but you Lord we bow before you today and we are moving to a time of confession to realize that we are not worthy to come before you the king but only by your by your son and your blood Lord Jesus can we come to you today
2: so at this time let's read this prayer of confession that we've been taking from Colossians 3 so let's read this prayer together gracious God You tell us to set our minds on things above, yet often our hearts are set on things below. Rather than love, we have struggled with coveting, malice, slander, and destructive words. We have indulged impurity and earthly desires. We have not clothed ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. We have not forgiven others as you have forgiven us. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. Now for those trusting in Jesus, hear this word from Colossians chapter 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now let's sing about that now. (laughs)
0: To me he hath made known No I unworthy Christ in love Redeemed me for his own I know whom I have believed And am persuaded
2: This time, in light of all that, let's turn and greet one another with the passing of the peace.
3: you would take a seat, kids are dismissed to their class, and we'll continue in worship. It's amazing to have all of the kids' activity um, and energy, so we're abundantly grateful in this church for all that that noise, um, walking out the door to their kids' classes means. So thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Sarah, and I'm the director of ministries for this church, and we're really glad you're here with us. At this point in our service, we'll take an offering together, and so we pray an offering prayer together um, before the offering is taken. So would you hear these words, and then when there's an underlined portion, would you pray that aloud with me? Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. With these offerings, we declare together that Jesus is Lord over all. King Jesus, use these offerings to advance your kingdom in the world. May they help Realign our allegiance to you and help us to acknowledge the bankruptcy and broken promises of materialism. May they bless others as you have blessed us and may they help us to loosen our grip on the things that will not last and tune our hearts to what is eternal. You are generous and kind gracious and good we thank you and we bless you we pray this in your glorious name amen we will take the offering now and I'm just going to share a few announcements with you if you're brand new with us we'd love for a way to connect with you we may or may not get a chance to meet in person today but there's a card that looks like this And if you'd be willing to fill it out, we have an email newsletter that's sent out each week that can let you know things that are happening in the life of our church. There are boxes on the wall right by the doors as you go out that say give, and you can just drop it in there, and we'll connect with you sometime this week. Also, we have, as you walked in or sitting out on the welcome desk, there's a form for small groups. So if you're new to our church and want to step into that, we'll be forming those And we'll take sign-ups through the 12th. And so if that's something you're interested in, um, those will be beginning February 19th. And we ongoing have different opportunities for you to step into the life of our church Sunday mornings. We have Sunday school, and we currently have a Wednesday evening class for the next two weeks. So if you're interested and want to hear more about that, let us know that as well. We'd love to make a way for you to step into the life of our church. And the last thing I want to put on your radar is partially because I'm helping to plan it. Um, But there is a women's retreat coming up at the end of April, April 21st and 22nd. And women, if you could hear this invitation to come for rest, renewal, and fellowship with God and with one another, we would love for you to join us. Sign-ups, official sign-ups with information will be coming at the end of February. There'll be details. It's about, it will meet at a retreat center that's about an hour from Kansas City, and we would love to invite any and all of you to join us for a time of rest and renewal together. Thanks again for being here. We will continue our service now with a time of corporate prayer, and Jordan Crawford will be leading us in that time.
4: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Uh, as she said, my name is Jordan Crawford, and I'll be leading us today in our corporate prayer. So this is one of the times in our um, church service that we um, like to slow down. We like to seek God um, together in a corporate prayer that is led uh, with some prompts that I'll give you here in just a second. And so what that'll look like is I'll start by a reading a passage this morning, and then what I'm going to have us do is kind of slow down and go one verse by one verse, followed by a prompt that I'll pray, and then I'll give you some time to pray to yourself. So um, in this transformation series, um, Chris and Jimmy have been going through uh, transformation is not just change. It usually involves a process of death and life, and Paul in Galatians 2.20 talks a lot about this, Um, and so I wanted to read through this, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it as a whole, and then I'm going to read through one verse and then have that prompt that I'd like us to go through together. So In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'll reread that first verse. I have been crucified with Christ. Where or what in your life needs to die so that it can live? So let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious and kind, abounding in steadfast love. God, and, and when you tell us that you offer fullness of life, you also um, beckon us to die to ourself and to put up to the cross um, our wants, our desires, our strategies for coping with the world, and ultimately anything apart from you goes up on the cross. Jesus modeled exactly what that looks like and you ask us to die day in and day out so that we might live. Father, would you invite us make us thoughtful in this time where in our lives, where in our hearts are actually things that we cling to that we may not even be aware of. So, as Holy Spirit, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may see and hear from you. We invite you to speak. God, if there are things that need to die so that we could live, God, we ask that you would make us aware of those. Go ahead and pray now. Amen. The second part of this verse. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ offers fullness of life, man made fully alive in him. The prompt I want to to ask is, what would it feel like? What would it feel like, not just look like, feel like to live fully alive in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, in this passage, you give us great hope hope and joy that the King Jesus has already died so that we could live. God, and you offer that abundantly today at this moment. God, thank you for the ways that you've already regenerated our hearts to love what you love, care what you care about, and experience full life on this earth. God, we look forward to the hope um, that is ahead, but Father, you also, you offer that right now. So, Lord, we are grateful that you don't just say, keep waiting, keep deferring, but, God, you want to meet us here and now. God, where our hearts need to feel that hope, need to feel the gospel made manifest on our day-to-day, where we're struggling, where we're busy, where we're not seeing or hearing, God, I pray that you would help us to know that you care way more about our happiness, way more about our joy way about our experience day to day than we do. God, would you help us to know and feel that now? Go ahead and pray. amen and the last part in the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me god is love he loves us with the entirety of his person what does your heart need to believe that this morning god that he is love let's pray father your love um, covers over a multitude of sins god and it drives out fear You are love, so God, I pray that you would make soft our hearts so that we may not just have that as a uh, something that we glean from the Bible and is intellectual or cognitive only, but God, one that in our soul, in our hearts, in in the very person uh, that we are, God, that you would help us to feel your love and experience it afresh this morning. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that It's not just our performance and it's not just more teaching. God, it's you open us to be more aware of your love, to experience it more. So we pray for that. We long for that this morning. Would your grace um, fall on us this morning that we may feel it more right now? Lord, we entrust all this to you in your great name. Amen.
5: Good morning. My name is Justice Almeida, and today we will be reading from Colossians 3.18 to Colossians 4.6, which can be found on page 984 in your pew Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, to chapter 4, verse 6. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear Which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord.
6: All right. Hey, if I haven't met, my name is Chris. I know there's lots of introductions, but we care that you're here and would love to get to know you. So um, I'm Chris if we haven't met. I laughed this week thinking about preparing for this because pastors are trained to open with like a catchy story or a profound statistic or a joke to give people's attention. But I would guess just hearing these words, uh, I have your attention. Uh, We're in like the big three of misogyny and racism and fractured homes. If you're not a follower of Jesus or it's your first time here, this could be like a really, really strange text. I actually don't think it's about misogyny. I don't think it's about racism. I think those are the wounds that we've experienced. I think there's lots of questions that we have about this. I actually think this is one of the most beautiful texts in the scripture. And it's also one of the most misused, misapplied, abused texts in the scriptures. And if you believe that we have a real ancient enemy who is parasitic and attaches to truths and twist and distort those, then that pairing makes sense. The most beautiful things are often most attacked. The most life-giving, flourishing things are the things that often are most abused and confused. And we have in our fallen world the temptation to distort and just miss. So we stand in a space where we desperately need to hear what this text says because it's where we actually live our lives in these personal relationships in social and vocational settings. And as we think about relating to the outside world, which is what those passages are about, you've got to hear what God's word says about that. But there's just a ton of confusion and pain and maybe even like resistance. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just say, I'm really thankful that you're here. I probably won't answer all the questions that you've brought in. And this might even be playing into some of your like cultural stereotypes of Christianity. But um, I would love to dialogue with you. If, when we're done, if you want to have a conversation about questions you've had, things you've experienced, because the church has often misapplied these things, not just to its own like reputation detriment, but to the harm of individuals. And where you've tasted that, you've experienced that, you've watched that, and you've got questions about how could a God be true or his people live like this in of ways. Like I would love to dialogue with you. And we have women on our staff. If you're comfortable talking with me, I'd love to connect you with somebody because your your questions really matter. And I want to address those Kind of wounds, but I want to let the text do it. I think if we can put forward like the positive vision of what this text has, it will be both healing for us and reorienting in ways that I think will actually be helpful. So so my idea is that the the complication we have with it is not so much because of the actual teaching in the text, but because of our distortions and our experiences and our confusion and things that have been have been misused. And so I, I want to just like humbly offer like some seeds this morning that I think if we plant them, it will lead towards like a a safe, a flourishing, an honoring, a beautiful, a loving community. And I say humbling because I'm realizing like I've got limitations both of time uh, as well as like my own personality and blindness and my own growth, my own sin, my own weakness. So, So there's no way I can like address all of the stuff. But, but if you remember, Jesus talked like the kingdom of God spreads like leaven or mustard seeds. It starts out real small and then it spreads. I wonder this morning if we can just plant a couple of seeds that over the decades they would grow. And it'll take the whole Bible to really explain these things to us. It'll take decades as a church living in diverse community to experience them. It'll take like watching my marriage and my parenting and my leadership to get a sense of like if there's any integrity behind it. And watching it both in its like redemptive ways, but also in the brokenness where there's repentance and there's failure and you get to watch me own my humanity. It'll take that. It'll also take like people that are nothing like me in our community that you get to watch them lead and do their marriages. And I love that we get to be in a community where you've got lots of voices and portraits of what it would look like to to live into these things. So, so I want to plant kind of three seeds and they're not three sermons, I promise, but there's three like burdens that I have I want to like locate this in our series on transformation. So to the degree you're feeling uncomfortable, like I did pick this text, like I'm leading us into this passage, but not simply for this topic. I'm leading us there because I think it's part of God's portrait of how we are to live as his redeemed people. And what he's doing is he's making application to like our regular lives, to where you actually live out your faith. And so I want to just kind of locate this passage in this series we've been in on transformation. That's my first burden. And then I want to just, like, teach the text. I want to teach the burden that Paul has. I want to unpack the argument that he has for us. And then I want to spend some time just addressing, like, a a vision for a biblical gender, for manhood and womanhood, for what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, how God's actually designed us to live, acknowledging all the pain and power and abuse and the corrosion that's happened. I want to acknowledge that, but also, like, put forward for you something positive. I think if I just leave us with a whole bunch of what it's not uh, not only will you be frustrated, but you'll be open to like another voice from the world that's kind of has a, an agenda for you to fill in what it is or couldn't be. And so, I want to just kind of plant some seeds that I hope I hope will grow. So, how this fits in our regular series, what the text actually says, and then uh, just kind of an overview of some things I think the Bible teaches us about about marriage. We'll talk about marriage and parenting this morning, but but if you've been with us for a while, we've been in this series on transformation. We've actually used a little diagram uh, that I think will pop up behind me magically. Ha! there it is. Hey, it's on our reading guide as well, so just a visual to kind of get a hold of what we're trying to do. In a sense, when I think about our church, what we're trying to be about, how we're trying to go forward, what our focus is, what's kind of true north for us, this passage from Colossians 3, 1 through 4, 6 is kind of the E on the eye chart for us. And where we've been so far is unpacking the process of transformation. So you see there in the center of that these three circles, one that says gospel, and there's a negative sign and a positive sign. What we've walked through the last couple of weeks through Colossians 3, 1 to 17 is is an explanation of how change really happens. It happens as we turn to Jesus and trust him. There's no real substantive inside-out change that can happen apart from new birth, apart from our hearts Being renewed. The Bible says our hearts are like stone and they need to be reborn and made fresh and new. So Jesus came into our world to do that. So that's Colossians 3 1 to 4. Just says who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And then we acknowledge in 5 to 11 of that passage turning over your head. It's not just something that you pray out loud, it's actually visceral with your body, turning away from former loves, things that have trapped you, enticed you, harmed you, and harmed others, and moving away from those back to something that is positive and redemptive, which we see outlined in Colossians 312 to 17. So, so it's a trusting in Christ, turning away from other things that we've trusted, and then not just leaving us in a void, but moving towards something that's redemptive, something that's actually beautiful. So, so we've been there for a while. And then as you go like, oh great, how do I do that? The text gives us some practices. So there's a, another ring on that little diagram that names four practices we see in the text. We were there Last week, so God gives us His Word. He says that we should have the Word. Of God. We also speak back to God through prayers. We see a practice here of, of praying to God. We're told that we're doing this in community. There's a ton of one another commands and lots of com- conversations about what it means to do this in relationship. So we get the idea that that a habit or a practice is actually being in relationship with each other. And then we're we're supposed to cap this with worship to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to, to have our hearts drawn up to God. And as we do that, as we hear God's word and we respond to it through prayer and we worship him for who he is and we do that in community, that's how we actually engage in these processes of transformation. Because it's in community that you see yourself more clearly. You see where you need to turn as you engage God's word. You see what his portrait is for you. As you hear his voice and commune with him, he, he speaks to you encouraging words and, and redeeming words restorative repenting words and you see actually a beautiful description of what Christ has done in the scriptures it's constantly in front of you and as you see that and then you worship him it begins to actually change and transform you right so these are all like going together they're not little test tubes they're not just like little amulets that we have there's this meshing together of a process that's engaged with these practices okay and now we get to the meat of it which is this outer ring of the places where you live your life that are meant to be spaces where this transformation actually takes place. So it's not a matter of just thinking, and Christianity is not to be lived out solely in this room. It's meant to be lived out in the actual places where you do life. And, and this text is going to name marriage and parenting. It's going to talk about personal relationships. And we use personal relationships because we acknowledge, like, like, not just like singleness is allowed, it's actually celebrated in the scriptures. So not everybody's going to be married, not everybody's going to have children. So it's in those personal relationships that we are experiencing with our need for grace, we're experiencing the gospel being proclaimed to us, we're, we're seeing how, where we need to change, and we're expressing these gospel truths to each other. So, so personal relationships is a place that we live this out. And then you go on in the text, and we got to this bond servants and masters, which is really, really dicey. We'll spend a whole week on it next week, but, but this idea of slaves and masters. So we use the phrase social and vocational settings. It's too small to say that's just about your job, like employees and employee, employers. That's way too small to engage that text. It has everything to do with society and justice and mercy, but it does have something to do with where you live your life in the world outside of your home. And so we use a phrase social and vocational settings. God's word actually speaks to you where you spend your waking hours and your time, which is, I think is good news, that it's actually relevant to those places. And then it closes in this section, starting in verse 2 of chapter 4, with, with a call to engage with people in the outside world. Those who don't yet know Jesus, they could be your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, people that speak different languages than you. But the Bible is telling us the transformations happening in our hearts is not something that we just hold on to personally and selfishly. It's meant to be shared. And, and God is the one who models this for us. He came out of heaven into our world, embodied our life and existence in a missional way to help us know the love of the Father and make it possible for us to actually be transformed and redeemed. So it just makes sense that we would live out our transformation in a world or with people who are asking questions. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you were invited by a friend and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, we're going to get through this, I promise. But like they've brought you here. Maybe you're asking your own set of questions. Maybe you're watching or listening online or on a podcast, but you, you wonder, like, does Jesus matter? And what I want you to see in the next couple of weeks here is that, man, not only does it matter, but he offers you hope and transformation. So so there's a process of transformation, there's practices that we engage with as a church, and then there's places that we live this out. And I think my job as the pastor here is to continually remind us of that, because if we'll pursue those things, it will change us over time, like, like leaven and mustard seed. You, you'll actually be transformed and it's wobbly and it's clunky and it's messy and you'll need a lot of repentance involved but we will actually be closer to the heart of Jesus as we together engage these truths and we have these practices so we try to like structure stuff in the church so there'll be like a parenting class uh, coming up there'll be a marriage deal there'll be a young adults thing the way we do kids ministry the way we teach practices in this contemplative practice on Wednesday night a reading guide for you prayer times on Thursday and during our service like we're trying to just weave these things naturally into the life of our body so you should be hearing instruction on them be given chances to practice them they should be modeled for you and you should be encouraged to actually pursue them so this whole series is kind of me reminding us of that so that's my that's my first burden and there's something I've had in my notes like three times and I haven't said it yet so let me just like I'm going to explode if I don't say it. Let me just kind of say this. Uh, In this whole idea of the process of transformation, I didn't want us to miss the idea that God doesn't just tell you to stop doing bad things. He tells you to love something greater and that pushes out your desire or the allure or your attention for things that are actually of the flesh. Uh, The kind of founders or the kind of, what are they called? Like the, uh, what are those dudes called? Chalmers is a Puritan. He's a Puritan. That's what he's called. This is like hundreds of years ago. He he coined this phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection. That when I love something else more, it pushes out lesser loves. I want us to be driven by that. I don't want you to be driven primarily just by fear or shame or getting worried of getting caught I want you to love Jesus and experience his transformation in such a way that it's making the allure of lesser loves farther in your purview, that they lose their shine, they're less appealing to you because you've tasted and experienced who God is. That's going to take more than what we do in this room. It's going to take you engaging a process of transformation, engaging you in practices, living out in real relationships and in places. But, but I didn't want to miss a chance for like the fourth week in a row to just, uh, not say God's heart for you is not primarily a stop it heart it's a come and follow me like come to life come come drink water come be satisfied come have your soul fed that's the way the scriptures talk and that expulsive power as it actually changes us from inside out it actually then redeems everything about us including our personal relationships okay now we're ready for the text if that makes any sense at all like, I'd love, like, some sort of thumbs up in the hallway. If you're super confused, you can go, like, I don't know, man. Like, I-, I want us to have this in our hearts. And I don't care about the diagram so much unless it's helpful to get you to a place where you can actually uh, encounter it and remember it. So, okay. So, look at me now in the actual text. I want to make a couple of points here. I think the flow of his argument is super important. And what he's trying to teach us is super, super important. So, so it comes in verse 19. We're in Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 984 in that Pew Bible, if you have one, or you can pull it up on your phone. We've walked through this process of transformation. You see it there in those paragraphs, these practices, and now we're ready for the places. And he starts with marriage and the home, and then he goes into slaves and masters. These are three kind of arenas in the ancient world they would have used to talk about where and how you live your life. First thing I want you to see is these teachings are not just dropped in out of nowhere. This morning, we just started with wives submit to your husbands, which is like, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hokuni Church, especially if you're a woman. And wham, there's that verse. So it can be kind of jarring. And I don't know if I want to like take away the sting of that, because I think there's actually something beautiful in it when we see it throughout the scope of Scripture. But we would be remiss if you didn't realize this comes after 17 verses of explanation and description of how we live out our lives. And really what he's doing is now he's going to tell wives and husbands and children and parents and slaves and masters how to actually do that. The Bible is beautifully written in general ways right? It's just like one verse. You're like, how do I even do this? It's one it's one verse. There's enough in the scriptures to give us clarity, but it's beautifully general so that it applies to the ancient world. It would fit like in a pre-industrial setting, it would fit in a metropolitan world. It would fit if you're a male or female, if you're a child or you're a parent, if you're a slave or a master, remember from Colossians 3, 11, too, like if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, it fits all of that. What the Bible is doing is saying wherever you find yourself in the social settings of your day, God has a word for you and you can live out this transformation in those spheres. And he's been telling you how to do that. So everything he said in these first 17 verses applies to wives and husbands and parents and children and slaves and masters. The fact that they'd be sitting together in the assembly hearing this together would be revolutionary in the ancient world. To have the equality of men and women sitting in the same space. To have parents and children sitting in the same space and even children being addressed. Not just parents telling them about their children but children being addressed and to have slaves sitting with their masters demonstrating the equality that's available for us in Christ and giving instructions of how do you live out this faith in these spaces where you find yourself. So I want you just to understand the places that we live are meant to be influenced by everything that comes before. right? So all these commands to like be patient and kind and bear with one another and not be angry and not commodify somebody, it's to actually be in spaces where we forgive, where we don't complain against each other, where we, we traffic in meekness and impatience, all of that applies to both genders, parents and children, and slaves and masters. So really what he's doing then is saying, hey, in a particular way, let me make some application to where you're going to struggle. And here's what he does in these couplets. He takes both the lower social position and the higher social position, and he addresses both of them. And he names where we're most going to struggle. Hey, wives, when it comes to thinking about the beautiful biblical teaching, uh, you are co-heirs with your husband, the way you're designed with full equality, that God made you to come alongside of him as an equal helper, to not be supporting cast to his story, but to live into your story, that God sees you as his daughter, that he loves you. So from that space, then what do you do when the Bible also says that your husband is supposed to lead the home? How do you engage that? Hey kids, if you now see your parents as Brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's bedtime and they say, go to bed. And you're like, hey, I'm your brother. I'm not your child. Like, how would you give me a bossing around, right? In those spaces, you're going, how do I live this out? When it comes to equality and even like there's spaces where the power structures of the day, the Bible is flipping upside down. Jesus came into our world and he modeled beautifully the divesting of his own power. He gave up what it meant to actually hold on to his title. He was born of a peasant family as a refugee in an occupied country in a no-name town, the preeminent one, the God of the universe. He models for us how to steward our power. And so he speaks to husbands and parents and masters who have been trained to leverage their power, who have been trained to use their power in coercive ways to get what they want. So he's going to speak to that. He's going to speak to the lower social setting and the higher social setting and make gospel application both directions. And what's going to be beautiful is you'll see at the center of it is a reference to Jesus. Which would just make sense, right? He's the reference for the entire universe. Of course he would be the reference for how both the lower social class and the higher social class would engage in these redemptive practices. But Jesus kind of sits in the middle and then it goes lower and higher to give some instruction. I want you to see that. That's the, the pattern in the couplet is that he's addressing you where you actually live. The gospel is good news wherever you find yourself, right? Go back in the ancient world, right? It's the arranged marriages. You were born into slavery. You had very little rights unless you owned property. Everything was male-dominated, not just males, but the firstborn males. There's a ton of stuff going on, and the gospel takes fire and catches in ways that spread throughout the ancient world among the poor and among women and among those in these lower social classes because it dignified their humanity is made in the image of God and their creator. And now they find themselves being taught, hey, there's this dignity and beauty and value, and they're going, how do I express that? How do I live this out? How do I actually use the power that I have in non-coercive ways, non-corrosive ways, non-manipulative ways? And how do I sit in the space that I'm in? Do I have to, to change my gender to be free do I have to change my marital status to be free? Do I have to actually get out of the slavery to be free? Or is there a way for me to live real life transformation wherever I find myself? The gospel is good news wherever you find yourself. I want you to see that in this text. So look at me in verse 18. It says, Wives submit to your husbands, which is both like a consistent call throughout the scriptures and it's difficult. I think it's difficult primarily because of the abuses that have happened. If you understand even the biblical teaching of mutual submission, like if we were to go to Ephesians chapter 5, where you get a longer explanation, this is just two verses in Ephesians, you get maybe 13 verses or so for this. It just stretches it out a little bit longer. But it starts in Ephesians 5.21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a call to both genders to submit to each other. And then there's a particular way that wives do this. And a particular way that husbands do this. And Ephesians 5 just gives us more context and contour there. Would you flip over to that section? It's just one book over. It's on page 979, 978. I think you'll be encouraged because Ephesians does the same pattern. It roots these like household codes in the explanation of what it means to walk by the Spirit. It follows after lots of uh, commands to, to walk in love and to walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. And then he's going to make these applications. I think you just see it here in ways, not that are different than Colossians 3, but in ways that are just maybe more full. Would you kind of, before we go there, just understand this. What Jesus did was revolutionary. Everyone expected him to lead armies to overthrow governments and powers. But instead what he did was from the inside out live in such a way that actually radically transformed and changed whole people, which then would transform families, which then would transform social and vocational settings, which then would transform the outside world. So Jesus is after our hearts, and it's a more powerful place than simply just addressing the, the structure. So Christianity fits into whatever structure is there and redeems it from the inside out. Because as you live into these values, you can't help but set slaves free. You can't help but honor wives. You can't help but like, engage your children with, with respect. You can't help but engage with people who have power over you in ways that actually honor them and honor Jesus in, in beautiful ways. You can't help but do that as you're transformed and changed. And when that change happens, everything around you is actually radically changed. So, so I'm in Ephesians chapter 5, page 978, if you're in that pew Bible. It's on uh, that spot. We're going to start in verse 15. He's been talking a lot about what it means to follow Jesus. A real similar pattern to Colossians 3, 1 and 17. And he says this, Look carefully then how you walk Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There's this this pressure, this voice, this this parasitic evil one that actually is going to manipulate and coercively change your understanding of what actually is beautiful and good. So be wise. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Go to his word. Go to what he says. Engage with what is actually true and let that push out other loves. And don't get drunk with wine because that's debauchery which is maybe weird, but if you think about soothing and looking for things that actually help you cope, it makes sense. Don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, right? Have this filling that expels or pushes out other loves and address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in the heart uh, to the Lord. This is that uh, real similar to Colossians 3. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the grounding phrase. There's four participles in that paragraph. The last one is that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he just goes into how to do this. Actually, the word submit in the Greek isn't in verse 22 when it says, wives submit to your own husbands. It's not a misogynist interpretation. You, just, you need a verb there. It just says, wives submit under your own husbands. You're like, well, what under your own husbands? Well, he just told them to submit to one another. So here's how you do that, wives. You submit to your own husbands. That's the Lord. Because God's designed this thing, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. Notice the reference to Jesus there in the middle of that. Notice the orientation is not just to cultural norms or to what our grandparents did or getting back to some golden era. It's about Jesus and what he's like and how he's designed things. He's saying you can actually lay down your rights for the sake of someone else. That's what submitting is. we are supposed to do that both directions. Wives, you can do that for your husbands because God's designed him, asked him to lead your home as the head of your home. And whether you think that's source or authority or leadership, there's something about the role of husband that's distinct from the role of woman. Now, I think we've exaggerated it. I think we've abused it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. There is a role that God has given in the home for husbands and wives, it needs to be redeemed. And he says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives and everything should submit to their husbands. There's again this orientation, not to the culture. What's happening is Paul is flipping these normal social structures upside down. It's not just do this or you'll be punished or do this because that's what our society believes. He says, do this as unto Jesus. He, he Christianizes the codes of the day and puts for, for pa- families Jesus at the center of it and says, orient yourself around who he is. Puts your Jesus in the middle of your social and vocational setting and says, orient yourself around who Jesus is. When it comes to places of even like you wish things were different where you are in your social class, orient around Jesus. So he says for three verses, here's how wives should submit to their husbands. And then he goes on a long run for husbands, which is super instructive. Husbands, we are to submit to our wives. As we try to lead them. Super complicated. You're going to need Jesus to do that. But you have to actually engage that. So the orienting idea is husbands submit. Wives submit. Wives you do it because he's supposed to lead your home. Husbands he says love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here it is. Gave himself up for her. How do you love your wife? You die to yourself. Sounds pretty submissive. To kind of lay down all of your rights and even your very life. So it's not that he's the boss. It's not that he gets his way. It's not that his job is the one that matters more. It's not that he breaks the tie in every decision. He gets to lead out in the home of honoring Jesus in ways that actually see the family redeemed. And he does it through self-sacrifice just like Jesus taught us how to lead. One of our biggest problems with even the word submission is it's, it's meant to respond to some kind of leadership. And when that leadership is distorted and broken, we have all kinds of questions about submission. Like, it doesn't feel very safe. If the leader's not leading well, that submission feels really dangerous. If it's been abused, this feels crazy to ask people to lay down their lives and be unprotected. I totally get it. And that's a space where, like, we have to be healed. We have to be redeemed. We're planting little seeds so that in our community there would be healing. And Jesus is going to address those in that, that higher social position here in just a moment. But, but he says, die to yourself, that, that you might actually sanctify her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The reference point is to love your wife as Christ of the church. And what he was after was not getting something from the church, but giving lavishly to her to see her redeemed and whole and flourished, see her forgiven and set free. Husbands, is that the paradigm of your leadership in your home? Are you waking up in the morning asking, how do I set my wife up to believe the gospel is good news? That she could trust Jesus with her whole life. That she could turn to him rather than to lesser loves That she would actually play out the gospel in our home to lead in such a way that models after Jesus' love is what we're called to. So, so it's called a submission. It's like a real call. But the context of how it's called to us and how it's framed, I think, changes everything as, it, as it's Christianized. He says, in the same way as husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, Remember, we're one flesh. This is the biblical teaching. So it's not like there's this, this patriarchal hierarchy that has this crushing weight. We're seen with some structure and authority. We're seen with some roles to play, some function in marriages that are different. But we're seen as equals and as one body. So husbands make decisions not that they're best for them, but that are best for their family. Maybe that's what's best for their own job, but maybe it, it wouldn't be in that space. So, so you're asking what is best for the whole body he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but he nourishes and he cherishes it what should it taste like and feel like for a husband to lead in his home in a way that's being transformed should feel like nourishing and cherishing just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body remember our identity is bigger than just a husband or a wife we are first children and we are the bride of Christ and we're actually slaves to him as our master. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The orienting perspective is actually what's best for her because she's part of me. And then he says, This mystery is profound. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Husbands are going like, man, could you just go back to the submitting part rather than this this whole section? Hey, this is profound, but because of what Christ has done, you're freed from the coercive, corrosive powers that you've been pushed into. Jesus is constantly redeeming and transforming what we see in the world around us. He says so many times, that you think like power and position, like Gentiles, rather than washing feet and serving and sacrificing and dying. I think that is beautiful, even if it's wicked hard. And it's something that we're aspired to live into as we're being transformed, as we engage in these practices, as we live into community. If you were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you would see a stretching out of the parent command as well. And there what we see is the home is to be the place where, where we're living out the truths of the Exodus, that we were slaves and we've been set free. That's why we honor God. That's why we give him our whole life. So when kids ask, why the heck are we doing all these things? Why are we going to church? Why are we giving away money? Why do we have people in our home in small group on Tuesday night? This feels kind of weird. Why are we doing all these things? You're supposed to say, hey, because we've been rescued and redeemed. That's the we do in Deuteronomy 6. So you verbally teach and you model that. So here's the idea. The home is to be the place, these personal relationships are to be a place where you make the gospel plausible as you apply the truth of what the gospel actually is. And you live into these realities of forgiveness and equality and beauty and love and mercy of actually engaging in ways that you honor somebody above above yourself. And you illuminate these truths. Go first century arranged marriages. Women are property. Children are no more than slaves. To see a family live these things out would be radically revolutionary to the community around it. And it would be really compelling. Because it's actually the pathway to flourishing. It's not the pathway to softness or to just being more more culturally relevant. It's the pathway to flourishing because the way God designed us to actually live. So, So he speaks in these couplets to wives, children, and then to slaves. And the reference point is to Jesus. Look with me back in the text. Wives, submit your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master who is the Lord in heaven. So, so the way this thing is laid out, you're applying these transformational truths in the relationship. They have a chance to be actually redeemed and transformed. Those in that lower social position are told, hey, you can actually engage in these things because Christ is with you. And the threat to your identity actually has been solved in the sacrifice of Jesus. He's made you whole and new. So you're not limited to this social structure. Therefore, you're free to love and give and obey and follow and serve and sacrifice. And then he switches to those in the upper position. And he speaks to the coercive nature of power. He speaks to the danger that's there. Because in a society, right, when you hear this gospel freedom, it would go both directions. What does this mean for my identity? What does this mean for the power that I already have? Those who have power rarely actually just willingly give it up, we've learned throughout history. So he speaks to those who have power. And did you understand just the simple phrases? Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. She's your co-heir. As you love her, there's no space for you to leverage and manipulate with your power. Fathers, don't, don't provoke your children. Or they'll be discouraged. Yes, you're the head of the home, but that gives you no right to call them names or to dehumanize them or to motivate them through shame. Don't don't provoke your children. Don't leverage your power because you're bigger and stronger in those spaces because of what Christ has done. Love them. And masters, don't don't treat your servants harshly. But treat them fairly. And he spends more time. There's enough there. We're going to spend a whole week on that. Next week, but the same pattern is there. Those who have the power are called to divest themselves of it. Okay, so the gospel is good news wherever you find yourself. And it's to be the framework by which we live out these personal relationships. And whether you're kind of in this space where you're struggling, or or the culture would say you're the one who has the power and the privilege, Jesus has a word for you. I don't know how you think about Christianity, but it's incredibly practical to speak into the spaces of our life. And we'll need, again, the whole Bible to understand these words. You just see the word submit and you can't help but load in your understanding of the the world and the wounds and the misuses and abuses into that word. As is like head or lead, you you have definitions that actually have been co-opted and hijacked by the world. The reason why we need these practices to be in God's word and to pray and to worship and be in community is to unravel our misunderstandings of these very categories you see how it all fits together you actually need help to live out the gospel in these places of of your life so ephesians 5 deuteronomy 6 and singles you're going like okay thanks thanks for family weekend thanks for the home weekend what about what about me oh the bible talks about the family of god coming through the blood of jesus not through human dna It revolutionizes the ancient world to have brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in a family that are not connected by clan or DNA or family name, but by allegiance to Jesus. And you see passages like 1 Corinthians 7 that don't just say it's okay if you didn't get married, you're still welcome. It actually honors and esteems in a lot of ways as a preferred position. To be single-minded and set free. To have your affections set on Jesus. To be, to be liberated to actually serve in profound ways. This is not a sin if you have to get married. That's the way, that's the way it talks. It's okay if you've got to get married. That's fine. But man, if you could stay single, that would be amazing. So we have 80-year-olds that have never been married in our church. We have people that have been widowed and in our church. We have people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s who long to be married in our church. And the reason why we use the phrase personal relationships is because Christ is redeeming all of that, all of that. And because we're a family together, there are ways that we need each other. And there's not just like a you get to babysit someone's kids. You get to be part of the community as an equal. The social statuses are being disrupted in the ancient world through the gospel of Jesus in ways that single people are being honored. Single people are being welcomed. Single people are being esteemed. And you would need to be careful not to esteem that over. All the power warnings would apply to you as well. Don't, don't esteem your singleness as some better thing in ways that now you're arrogant, but in ways that you actually be seen and feel noticed and feel loved by God, you can find yourself there in that passage. So, so personal relationships. There, there's a ton there, friends. And we talked about leaven and mustard seeds, thinking about like small baby steps that we want to take. But if we'll live into the, simple idea that we're living out the gospel realities in our most personal spaces, that the people that should see you love Jesus most sacrificially, should see you being transformed are those that are closest to you. We would just acknowledge our need for Jesus because when we're seen, we often feel threatened. When we're noticed and we're visible to people, we often feel some sort of shame in that space. So to be be most seen in intimate relationships where our flaws are most on display, That is a key gospel reality, to be transformed. Because remember, it's about trusting in Jesus and turning away from false loves and turning back to what he calls you to. So what a gift to be in a relationship with a parent or child or a spouse and to see your sin on display and need to ask forgiveness and freshly hear the good news of the gospel applied to your brokenness so you can be forgiven and free. Those are dynamic gospel contexts. We're making the gospel plausible to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, to our roommates as we live into these realities. The same way the ancient world would have been blowing the categories of those around them, as those with power divested themselves of it and they actually loved rather than used their power coercively. And those who found themselves in lower social classes didn't tie their identity to that. They actually trusted Jesus to give them comfort and help. So so there's a call here, Christ is at the center, and then there's a correction with power. If you're like, hey man, don't you have some words that rhyme or something? That's it. There's a call there, Christ is the center, and there's a correction about our power. Make sense? Lots to do, lots to engage with, lots of humility we need as a community. Hey, and I feel really comfortable, though it makes me really sad to admit that we've gotten this wrong in so many places, but getting it wrong doesn't mean we dismiss God's design. That we've messed it up makes us humble and needy for Jesus. It makes us go back to his word and go, what have we missed in this space? If, our, if your wife doesn't feel cherished and nourished, you've missed something in the way that you're leading. If your children are, are struggling to actually believe that the God you serve is worth following, there's something about the way you're engaging with that. And I don't mean their conversion is on your shoulders. Of course not. But there should still be like a level of respect for the way you're living out your faith, even if they disagree with you and don't want to have anything to do with your God. They at least respect the way you're following your God. Does that make sense? I'm not saying, parents, if you're good enough, and your kids will automatically be converted. Our history shows us that's not true. But there's something about the compelling nature of living out these realities, and I would put in front of you primarily this idea of repentance even. It's the most dynamic space that we're engaging these truths. Okay, so if you've been harsh, if you've provoked, you're invited to repent. And I would just finally say in this section that he gives that boundary and corrective that we should be on guard for that. Maybe even anticipating that we've struggled there and and let these correctives be invitations to humbly repent. Would you just like pray about that? And maybe you're going, man, I don't know how to do this. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if you have to have a final answer today to begin to take a step again we're thinking in in small seats it's okay if you don't know what it looks like to submit to a husband that you're having struggle trusting it's okay that you don't know how to do that but you begin to pray and ask for God's help to know how to do that it's okay if you don't know how to lead a wife who who's smarter than you and stronger than you and who you've hurt in different ways and you're not sure how to do that it's, it's okay you just begin to pray Ask for Christ's help to teach you and change you and transform you. You go to his word. You you worship. You sit in community. It's okay if you're not sure how to lead your children and what the line is between like appropriate discipline and, and moving too hard and, and over disciplining them. It's okay if you struggle to know that line. You just pray and bring that to Jesus and ask for his help and you humbly repent and keep keep turning to him. It's okay if you're not sure what it looks like to obey parents that you're you're not confident they have your best in mind. You're not sure their lives are consistent enough that their, their impulses about what's best for you are matching the scripture. It's okay you're not sure how to obey parents that, that you're not sure if you can trust their impulses. It's okay you just bring, bring that to Jesus and you pray. You, you ask for help. Right? He is the center of all these things. He is the one who actually leads and guides and directs. And if you're in an acute place where you're stuck and struggling, man, we would love to navigate that with you. Uh, this morning is not an airtight case for all the questions that you have. It's a trajectory. That diagram that we have up there or had up there a while ago, if you notice there's arrows on that, I'm trying to show there like this transformation is just to be moving outward. It's, just to, it's meant to be affecting. And you would imagine like leaven and mustard seeds, it grows and changes and transforms more and more over time. Okay, let me just quickly, if you're going like, okay, what do we do though? Like what does it actually look like? I think most of our struggle is with marriage, not with parenting in this space. You don't know how to do it. I think that's true. But, but the exhortations that children should obey and parents shouldn't be harsh, I bet you we're all kind of okay with that, even if you're not quite sure how to do it. I'm just going to take a guess there. I think it's the marriage part that's more troubling for us. It's where, it's where we're most confused. It's what's been most abused. It's where we've had all this weird information and things have been exaggerated. Let me just say this. I am more confident... After studying, like even the thought of like adding elders to our church, we have to answer the question about women and leadership in the church to think about what is it that elders do, and should women be elders, and if not, why not, and how does all that stuff work. So we're, we're studying those texts together. I'm more confident in God's good design that honors the different genders with some distinction in their function and role, or however you want to talk about that. I'm more convinced it's a good design and it's for us. I'm also more convinced that we have really, really, really messed it up. That what we normally live into does not match the beauty of what we see in the scriptures. And so I'm, I'm eager for us to be a community that's humbly repentant and moving back towards what God's word has for us without dismissing his, his design. So, so what is the design? When you survey the scriptures, what you see is that God created men and women with equal dignity to be partners. Even the way he did it, it wasn't voodoo that he pulled a rib out of the man. It's meant to be symbolizing that he's Part of her, there's an intimacy and a closeness there. When you read Genesis, you can't help but see the mutuality and the interdependence, the beauty of the way God designed us. Even the word helper that we see in Genesis, that God designed a helper suitable, is a strong word. Someone turns out like a necessary ally to come alongside of a man to complete not his personhood, but the mission of God together. That God's designed us to actually need both genders to express what it means to be born and lived into his image. So there's a mutuality and an equality, but, but a distinction, a joyful distinction. We want to celebrate femininity and masculinity. Men probably don't get any party hats in their celebration. I know like we've kind of burned through some stuff there, but, like, but we want to say, hey, men should be masculine and women should be feminine and stop and say, do we even know what that means? Or has our view of femininity and masculinity been so hijacked by our culture that we have settled for small, dehumanizing expressions of those things. What if we go back to the scriptures? What if we pray? What if we worship? What if we live in community and ask God to shape our understanding of what it is to be truly masculine and truly feminine? Women, if you're a woman, you're feminine. Men, if you're men, you're masculine. That's just how it works. You don't have to be more of who you are. You You just are that, and we can celebrate all those different ways. And you're like, that's super confusing, Pastor Chris. I know. There's a lot there, man. Like even who your wife is and who your husband is and who your kids are plays out a lot of different expressions, which is why being in a community of faith is so beautiful to live together. So we see differences with equality, and then we see mutuality, and you see a beautiful explanation in the church of gifts and callings that are not gendered. We're meant to live as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the community. I do think there's a role in the home that husbands are, have a unique responsibility to lead. I do think there's a space for male elders in the church, which we don't have male elders, by the way, but if we did, there's a unique responsibility there they have to serve and lead in the church. But those often get exaggerated. They, they get pushed too far in ways that actually unnecessarily remove opportunities for people, uh, remove beautiful expressions for people. So, so I want us to be humble as we engage In these things. There's a ton there. Uh, Like a blog in the newsletter would be like too small. This is why I normally go like, oh shoot, not being clear. I'll put it in the newsletter. Actually, this is going to be decades. This is going to be a long time. we'll teach on gender and marriage and leadership in the church in the fall, this takes more than just an application of of a sermon. But I want you to hear that I think complementarity is beautiful. The way God's designed us is actually trustworthy. And, And as we lead in repentance to realize we've messed it up, we actually get a chance to live into something that's more and more beautiful. That it's mysterious. That doesn't mean it's arbitrary. There's a theologian that says this, Within marriage, husbands serve their wives even to the point of death. As Christ served the church, and wives mimic the church who submits to Christ in all things. The mutuality is asymmetrical in various ways, but it is mutual, reflecting, reflecting the mutual submission and glorification of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So we look to God himself as the one who holds unity with distinction, who holds difference in function and roles, but equality in how we understand its essence and personhood. We've exaggerated differences, but that misuse doesn't mean we should give up on God's ideal like we would anywhere else. If you've blown it sexually, you don't just give yourself over to that. You want to repent help and taking a humble, listening posture. And Maybe I'll just kind of close with this. The way God describes this It takes his Holy Spirit. That's the whole context, right? To kind of live into these things. The Bible is not calling every woman to submit to every man. It's calling wives who are covenantally connected to a man who has said, I will take responsibility to lead and serve our home and to sacrifice for you. That's the context God has given us to live this thing out. It's in the context of a faithful, committed covenant. And even that is pretty shattered in our world. When you think about broken promises in marriage. But again, the ideal that God is laying out for us is that we would have a safe place to live into these things by his spirit in the community. And friends, it's simply beautiful, even if it's challenging. And to where you feel frustrated or concerned, or you're wondering how to obey this, wives remember Jesus, children remember Jesus, slaves remember Jesus, masters remember Jesus, husbands remember Jesus, parents remember Jesus in those spaces and let that be your reorienting reality which is where we land every sermon is to say that our only hope is always Jesus so of course it's our hope when it comes to living out our transformation in these places of personal relationships to talk about a covenant necessary in a marriage reminds us of the covenant that God made with his people that we'll finally celebrate in a meal called the marriage supper of the lamb where the bride both men and women as the bride will be connected to the greatest groom of all time in perfect harmony and unity as we celebrate a meal that Jesus began and enacted with his disciples. And he calls us to repeat that meal as a way to remember. So I want us to take communion now. you got a lot going on inside your heart and mind. Bring that to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, hear the message that his broken body and shed blood is for you to give you hope and to nourish and strengthen you. When it comes to places where you need to change and where you're wondering if those around you will be able to change. And if you're not a follower of Christ, just stay in your seat while we take communion. It's a meal for those who are trusting in Jesus. And there's zero pressure here. I care about that for you. I'd love to talk with you about that. But this moment is not a coercive moment to push you to do something you're not ready for. So you just stay in your seat and pray. There's prayers in the back of that bulletin that would give you some examples of what it could sound like. But if you are trusting Christ, I'm to invite you to come and take communion. The way we do it is we tear a piece of the bread off and we dip it in the cup. They'll be at each aisle here, and they'll be gluten-free here in the middle. Let me pray for us. We'll take communion, and then we'll sing, and then we'll go. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your plan and design. And thank you that even as we celebrate communion, what we're celebrating is you made a way possible to heal all the brokenness in the ways that we've abused your design, the ways we feel vulnerable, the ways we feel overwhelmed, the way we feel inadequate. You died in such a way to bear the weight of all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and set free, and you change us. So would you remind us of that in this moment and give us joy? For all who are trusting you, God, would you remind them? If those who are not yet trusting you, would you call them to yourself? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come when you're ready. God's good news to us, even if we struggle to live into it. Can I just ask if you have questions? I may have misspoke. I might just be wrong. I might need to nuance some things. Would love to dialogue with you and hear what's going on inside your heart. Because I think uh, wherever you find yourself, the gospel is applied there. Um, So let's let's talk. I'm thankful that you're with us. Would you open your hands just to receive the benediction? We gather to hear the good news that wherever you find yourself, the gospel applies. You have a husband that has pursued you. You have a father that loves you. You have a master who sacrificed for you. And you have a God who, though you were an outsider, came to welcome you in. And that's great, great news. Would you go now into the world and proclaim hope and pursue transformation and push back darkness that's all around us and inside of us? And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, go in peace, and we'll see you next week.